Well, we're turning tonight in God's Word to the book of Nehemiah again. And um, if you have been worshiping with us in the evenings, of course, of Christ's covenant family, but if you've been a visitor and worshiping with us, you know that we have been making our way through this book, this book which talks about the renewal of God's people, the fulfillment of God's covenant promises to place his people in a land. And much of Nehemiah, of course, centers around the city of Jerusalem. And so here in chapter 11, Nehemiah 11, we read about the leaders in Jerusalem, those who came and made their home within the city. We're not going to read the entire chapter together. We have a chapter full of names again. We're going to read the first uh, number of verses and then kind of show you some of the parts of the rest of the chapter. But as we read this chapter, remember that this is God's holy and inspired word. Now, the leaders of the people lived in Jerusalem, and the rest of the people cast lots to bring one out of ten to live in Jerusalem, the holy city, while nine out of ten remained in the other towns. And the people blessed all the men who willingly offered to live in Jerusalem. These are the chiefs of the province who lived in Jerusalem. But in the towns of Judah, everyone lived on his property in their towns. Israel, the priests, the Levites, the temple servants, and the descendants of Solomon's servants. And in Jerusalem lived certain of the sons of Judah and of the sons of Benjamin. Of the sons of Judah, Athiah, the son of Uzziah, son of Zechariah, son of Amariah, son of Shephatiah, son of Mahalalel, of the sons of Perez, and Messiah, the son of Baruch, son of Kolhazah, son of Haziah, son of Adiah, son of Joyrib, son of Zechariah, son of the Shilonite. And all the sons of Perez who lived in Jerusalem were 468 valiant men. And then you see in verse 7 a list of the sons of Benjamin who moved into the city. In verse 10 and following, a list of priests who moved into the city. Verse 15, a list of Levites. And in verse 19, gatekeepers. We have some singers in verse 22. And then in verse 25, through the end of the chapter, we have a list of villages. So we have cities that were around the city of Jerusalem. We'll take a look at uh, more um, definite parts of the chapter as we make our way through this chapter tonight. But let's pray before we study together. We do thank you, Father, for your holy word. We believe that your word is inspired. It has been breathed out by God from Genesis all the way to Revelation and this chapter of your word as well. And so we pray that you would teach us and instruct us. We pray, Father, that you would give us ears to hear But help us not only to be hearers of your word, but to be doers of it as well. We pray that we would see Christ, his redemptive work, even in a book like this. And pray, Father, that you will give me strength, that you will give me a clear mind and clear speech to proclaim your word tonight. And we ask all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, dear people of God, Nehemiah 11, along probably with some other chapters in the book of Nehemiah, is one of those chapters that you might be tempted to skip over 
in your own Bible reading. Uh, It's another chapter of names. And I was thinking this week as I was preparing for the sermon that I think there's sort of been a sinister plot, and that is um, Tom is the new pastor, and let's give him all of the chapters of Nehemiah that are full of names. Well, a list of names, of course, can be overwhelming, but names are important because names identify people, and names within cities are especially important because those names tell us who belongs. I'm absolutely certain that my son Nathan and daughter-in-law Sarah, our granddaughter Emmeline, Sherry, and I are the only Grolsmas that you are going to find in Charlotte. Uh, There weren't many more in Grand Rapids. I remember when I was a kid that I would look up last names in the phone book, and some of you might be saying, what's a phone book? But I would look up names in the phone book, and I would look up my last name in the phone book. How many Grolsmas are there that live in our city? And there was my dad's name and my Uncle Bill's name. The only Grolsmas that lived in Grand Rapids. Names in cities. Well, what about all these names here in Nehemiah 11? Well, we have to see that Nehemiah 11 picks up where chapter 7 left off. Chapter 7 was Nehemiah's vision for refilling and repopulating an empty Jerusalem. The walls of the city were finished, but very few people were living there. And so Nehemiah read off a genealogy of names of the first wave of exiles who had come back with Ezra decades before. And the reason why he read this genealogy is because he wanted to inspire the people of his own day to come to Jerusalem just as their forefathers had with Ezra. And here in chapter 11, we have the list of those who answered that call who left their homes, who moved into the city. And the reason they did this is because their hearts had been renewed. And that's what chapters 8, 9, and 10 of Nehemiah have been about. God's people heard the word of God. God's people confessed their sins before God. They set themselves apart for or to God. And the renewal kept coming on kept occurring as they now made their home in Jerusalem. You see, Jerusalem was never meant to be a hollow city. It was always meant to be a holy city. Two times it's called that in this chapter, verse 1, verse 18. A holy city because this is where God lived in his temple among his people. As Nehemiah 1.9 puts it, this is the city where God would make his name dwell. And we see here a city that was filling with a holy people of faith who were committed to the Lord. The four words we want to look at tonight that describe the grace that gathered God's people into the walls of this holy city, and that ought to describe his grace in us as members of his church. The first word is sacrifice. So again, we have an established city, but an empty city at the very beginning of chapter 11. The walls are up, but the city is empty. And we could ask ourselves the question tonight, 
Why didn't the people of God who came from Persia, who came from Susa, who returned to Jerusalem, why didn't they flood the city? Why did they continue to live all around it, but so few entered it? Well, the book of Nehemiah tells us a couple of reasons for that as we go back in the book. First of all, you remember that Jerusalem was a dangerous place. You might remember the opposition that occurred to build the wall. Many were hostile to the idea of Jerusalem being restored. Those notorious opposers, Tobiah and Sanballat. And there were no doubt many who were living around the city, who were living in the villages of Israel, who thought about moving to Jerusalem and they said to themselves, why would we want to live there? This is a dangerous city. There's hostility, there's opposition, there's tension, there's trouble in the city. Why would we want to be a part of that? Our villages are so secure, they're calm, they're peaceful, wonderful places to live. And those kind of thoughts must have kept some people away. The second reason is that the economy of Nehemiah's time was a land-based agricultural economy. And so the livelihood of most people in Nehemiah's day was connected to the land. They farmed. They had livestock. Their source of income, their source of food, their source of relationships, all of it was tied to the land. And they must have thought to themselves, if we leave this and we move to Jerusalem, are we going to have enough food? What is our income? Where's our income going to come from? What is our job going to be? So many unknowns with that thought. Well, friends, God did a work in the hearts of some of the people living around Jerusalem to move into the city. And we see this in the first couple of verses of this chapter. First of all, they were the leaders of the people. Chapter 1 begins, now the leaders of the people lived in Jerusalem. They went out ahead. They established themselves in the city. And then there was this group of people, the rest of the people, as verse 1 says, they cast lots to bring one out of ten to live in Jerusalem, the holy city, while nine out of ten remained in the other towns. And then finally, in verse 2, it says, The people blessed all the men who willingly offered to live in Jerusalem. The question here is, were there three groups of people or were there two groups of people? Of course, the leaders were a distinct group of people. They, They had gone out in front. But what about these other two groups of people? Those who were chosen by Lot and this other group of people who willingly offered to live in Jerusalem. Were those two separate groups or are they the same group? And people of God, I think it's the latter. I think they're the same group of people, that a tenth of the people were chosen by Lot to come into Jerusalem, and they willingly responded to the will of the Lord. They willingly sacrificed to move into the city. Their hearts were stirred. They gave up what was familiar what was comfortable out in the villages that they had lived in to devote themselves to the holy city and to God's glory. 
they viewed obeying the Lord as more important than making a comfortable lifestyle for themselves. And they acted not out of sentimentality for Jerusalem. They had never lived there. They were not familiar with it. This wasn't going back to the way things used to be, but they acted out of faith, understanding that in some way, Jerusalem was part of God's redemptive plan and purposes for the world. And they said, we're willing to be a part of it. We're willing to give ourselves to it. We are willing to move into this holy city of God. And they gave up so much to do it. How often do we run away from the costly and difficult obedience that God sometimes requires of us? It's often tempting, isn't it, to camp out on what is comfortable, what is secure, what we know, rather than things that sometimes God calls us to. And as God's holy people who belong to God's holy city or his bride, the church, we are called to sacrifice and submit ourselves to the one who gave himself up for us. You remember what Paul says to us, Romans 12.1, that in view of the mercy of God, we are to offer our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to the Lord. This is the response that comes to the grace of God in our lives. That first word, sacrifice. The second word is community. We see a community here. And so we have this list of names. But what is interesting about this chapter is that these are not just individual names. These actually are generations. These are family names. And so look at the example in verse 4 where the list of names begins. And we read there, Of the sons of Judah who lived in Jerusalem, Athiah, the son of Uzziah, the son of Zechariah, the son of Amariah, and so on. Now the list here could just have included individual people, who had left their villages to move into Jerusalem. But that's not what we have in this chapter. Nehemiah wants us to see generations. He wants us to see family connections, family communities, fathers, sons, and of course, in the Old Testament, implicitly, mothers, daughters. He wants us to see these connections from one generation on down to the other. Why is that so important here? Well, there's a couple of reasons for it. First of all, there is a tracing back of the family line, which established somebody's place in the covenant community of Israel. Jerusalem was the holy city. It was the center of God's covenant promises. It's where the temple, of course, was found. And those who lived in Jerusalem needed to be part of God's covenant people with a covenant ancestry. So vital to Israelites, so vital to Jews, that you knew who your father was and your grandfather and your great-grandfather and going on all the way back to the patriarchs, establishing a covenant line. And there were some exceptions, of course. 
We read about Ruth coming into Israel from outside and Rahab and a few others showing us God's plan to draw a people for himself from the nations of the world as well as Israel. But for the most part, your heritage was important in connecting you to the covenant people of God. And that's what these generations do here in chapter 11. But I think there's another reason, maybe a more important one. When those people move from their villages to Jerusalem out of submission and faith in God, it wasn't just their faith that was on display. But we see the faith of their fathers on display as well. We see, in a sense, godly homes here. Behind these lists were fathers and mothers who raised their children in the fear of the Lord, who talked about the mighty deeds of God, who rehearsed his promises with their children, who talked about the hope of Jerusalem and the hope of Israel. How how do we know that that happened? Well, I think we can think about one example, and that's the example of Nehemiah himself. Nehemiah, who was raised in Persia, raised in Susa, as far as we know, had never, ever been to Jerusalem before, and yet God lays a passion on his heart for the city when he hears that the walls were broken down, that the gates were burned. He is overwhelmed by a passion for the city of Jerusalem. And where did that come from? Why was he so concerned about the city, the city that he had never been to before? Well, I think it must have been passed down to him by his father and mother, maybe by his grandparents. And they must have told him about the glory of Jerusalem in David's time. They must have shared with him the horrors of Jerusalem's destruction. And absolutely, they told him about the prophet's words of Jerusalem being restored. So what do these lists remind us of? Well, they remind us, don't they, that God's covenant faithfulness works through the lines of generations. That God is a God to believers and to their children. And he uses generations for the passing down of the faith. If you've grown up in such a home, praise God. The faith was passed down to you. Or maybe tonight you're a first-generation believer in your family. And ask God to set a new course with you for generations to come, that your children and your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren and those beyond would love and serve the Lord. That God would set for you a path of faith that would continue on long past yourself. We see the community of faith. Third word is service. We see a variety of people serving in a variety of ways in this chapter. As we read through the chapter or picked up highlights from the chapter, we saw groups, divisions, categories of people who moved from the villages into the city. So we had the sons of Judah, verse 4 and following, verse 7 following, the sons of Benjamin, verse 10 following, the priests, verse 15 following, Levites, and so on. But within this chapter, there are even more specific 
definitions and descriptions of people who went to serve the city and serve the Lord. Look at a few examples with me. Verse 6. At the end of verse 6, we find a list there of 468 valiant men. Somehow, a group of courageous, powerful, bold men who moved into the city. Verse 11, we have a description of the son of Ahitub, who was ruler of the house of God. He was a high priest. We see his specific role within the city. Verse 12, there's a list of some who did the work of the house of God. Must have worked inside of it, within it. In verse 16, we have others who did the work outside the house of God. I don't know exactly what they did. Maybe they did some landscaping, beautifying of the temple area. Verse 17, we have those who were part of the work of praise. Verse 19, we have gatekeepers or defenders of the city. But you see, Nehemiah goes to great lengths to tell us what some of these people did specifically within the walls of the city. And we see here a city that is hustling and bustling with activity. People serving the city of God and serving in a variety of ways. Not everyone doing the same thing. Alistair Begg, as he reflects on this passage, asks a question. He said, we could have asked the people of this chapter, what were you doing in Jerusalem? And he gives these answers. One might say, I was living there. And another might say, I was working there or I was serving there. I was praying there. I was watching there. I was singing there. And his point was this, that these were rather unspectacular ways of serving. But a real faith is marked by a steady commitment to God. Those on the list were not famous, but they were faithful. These are not famous people. We read all these names, most of us wouldn't hardly have an inkling of who any of them are. They were not famous, but they were faithful. And friends, that's what God calls us to. He doesn't call us to be famous. He calls us to be faithful in his service. And each of us, as we're called to serve in our own way within the body of Christ, faithfulness may mean different things for each of us. Some of us have the gift of administration, and we need to be faithful with that gift. Some of us are blessed with the gift of music. Some of us are gifted with hospitality. And just as the regular functioning of the city needed all the gifts of the people of God to be used, so the church of Christ needs all the gifts of God's people. Every single one of us needed for the body of Christ to be healthy. We often live, don't we, with a bit of either gift pride or gift envy. Gift pride is simply that idea that we think our gift is more important, valuable, essential than somebody else's. 
I dare say that most of us probably don't live with that. Most of us live with gift envy. We don't think our gifts are as important as others. And yes, some gifts are more public than others. Some gifts get more recognition than others. But every single gift that God gives us is important and all of us are needed to make the body of Christ what God intends it to be. Just as we see here in the city of Jerusalem. The holy city, a home of activity, of individual service, and so too we are called to do that within the church of Jesus. And here's the last word. The word is worship. I'm going to single this out because there's such a large emphasis on it in this chapter. That's partly what's being emphasized in the long list of priests that are in this chapter, and then the list of Levites, and there's a list of musicians. In fact, verse 22, one name that might be familiar to us is the name Asaph. Read a number of psalms that were written by him, and there were singers. And you see, people of God, these lists show how central worship was to the life of the holy city. God had come to his people in the grace of his covenant. God had made his name dwell in Jerusalem. The temple had been established. God had come to live with his people in the holy of holies. The atonement that was offered for sin and the sacrifices was made at the altar around the temple. And God's people were to worship the Lord in response. In the beauty of holiness. Worship was at the heart and soul of all that Jerusalem was to be. It was to be at the heart and soul of the people who lived both within the city and outside the city. The worship of God was the focal point of the city of Jerusalem. And people of God, so it is with us. Worship is to be at the heart of what we are about. Worship is to be at the heart of our living. Worship is to be at the heart of what we do each day, not only on Sundays, but Monday through Saturday as well. We were created to worship God. We know that, don't we? We're reminded of that so beautifully. That question, that question that we all know, what's our chief end? It's to glorify God. It's to enjoy him forever. It's to worship God. It's because we were made to worship that we so much miss corporate worship. We were made to worship God, and that's why there's a longing to worship with the rest of God's people. What a blessing this morning was. Worship is what we were made for, and never forget that worship is also what we will do forever and ever. We are going to worship God endlessly. And here in Nehemiah 11 is a people of faith responding to God's great redemptive work of establishing a city where his name would dwell, a holy city. We don't have a holy city here. But people of God, we do have a city that we are looking forward to, a holy city to come. Revelation 21 reminds us of that. At the end of the Bible, the holy city, the new Jerusalem, 
comes down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. A city that is the dwelling place of God. The city where he will dwell with his people and we will be his people and God himself will be our God. It's a holy city. It's a beautiful city. It is a city where there will be no more temple. There was here in Nehemiah 11, not in the new city. For the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb will be the temple. And as Revelation 21 goes on, the only one who can enter that city is someone whose name is on a list. There will be a long list of names of people who belong to that city, just as there was here in Nehemiah chapter 11. John, Mary, Renee, Tim, Mimi, Marcy, Samuel, Ben. We could go on and on. They belong to the holy city. They're on the list. What's that list? People of God, that list is the Lamb's book of life. It is a list of those who have been chosen by God to enter, who have been washed in the blood of the Lamb, and who have willingly and gladly put their hope and faith and trust in Christ. And so I'd ask you tonight, is that you? Do you belong to that city already? Because you belong to the king of the city, the lamb of the city, the Lord Jesus Christ. And if not, tonight's the night to put your faith and trust in him so that you too can belong Have your name on that list by grace. Let's pray together. So, Father in heaven, we thank you for the willing sacrifice and service and worship that your people brought as they made their way from the villages around Jerusalem and made their way into the holy city. The city, Lord, where you dwelt among your people in the temple. And we, your people, look forward to the holy city that is to come, the new Jerusalem, the bride of Christ that will come down from heaven. If we're trusting you, Lord Jesus, our name is already there. We already belong. But we look forward to the life that we will share with you and with all of your people forevermore. And so our prayer is come quickly, Lord Jesus, come quickly. And until that day, we pray that we will live by faith, willingly giving ourselves to you, to you who loved us first. And we pray all of these things in Christ's name. Amen.